And if you have your Bibles, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to the Gospel of John chapter 6. The Gospel of John chapter 6. Welcome to week 15 of a journey that we are taking through the Gospel of John. So after today we'll be 15 down and I believe we have 30 something more to go. So we started this series the Sunday after Easter of this year and we'll be ending it the Sunday after Easter of next year. So we've got a long way to go to get to the end. But I want to say something and make something very clear from the beginning today and that is this. Nothing is impossible with our God. Nothing is impossible with our God. And that's not just a nice statement to say or a nice thing to put on a bumper sticker. It's one of the core truths of the Christian faith. Our God is not limited by physical barriers that often limit us. He isn't trapped by our obstacles. God isn't afraid of our sicknesses. He isn't confused by the problems that that we encounter, God is not overwhelmed by your needs or my needs. Jesus came into the, the world to show the heart of the Father and to show that the heart of the Father is ultimately to forgive sinners, to heal sick, to give sight to the blind, to cast out demons, and to meet the needs of people. And this morning we come to the fourth of seven signs that John gives us of Jesus in this gospel. So John gives us a picture of seven signs that Jesus performed. Not a picture of all of the signs, but just seven. And towards the end of the gospel, in John 20, verses 30 and 31, John says this. John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which aren't written in this book, but these are written. So the ones that John chose to write, he said, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John included signs to show us who Jesus is that we might come and have life in him. So these pictures, these signs that we are seeing are doing something and pointing us somewhere. I like the way that John Piper, Pastor John Piper put it. He said this, what is a sign? A sign is glory coming into the world and shining down from that glory is a beam. A beam of glory shining from Christ, the glorious, eternal, divine Son of God. A beam shining down, and it lands. And then he takes us into today's topic. And when it lands, it produces out of five loaves and a few fish enough food to feed the masses. And the sign is meant to do this. Your eyes behold the landing of the beam, and your eyes should run up the beam to the glory. So we see the miracle we run up to see the one doing the miracle that it points to him the whole point is this and this was the point of Jesus' miracle don't seek signs seek jesus seek him also please hear this this morning don't let what you think is impossible or what others tell you is impossible keep you from following and trusting the one who makes impossible things possible this is the God that we serve. He is the God of the impossible. He is the God who does things. What's impossible with us is possible with him. In fact, strangely enough, every year at the beginning of the year, we do our, our words for the year. Well, Pastor Jordan, I already got my word for the year. I got it in, in June of this year. got my word for next year already. And it's centered around this picture of seeing God do the impossible. 
seeing God do the impossible, trusting God more to do the impossible. In 1939, a year long, long, long time ago, a man by the name of George Danzig enrolled as a in the graduate program in statistics at the University of California at Berkeley. At the beginning of one of the classes, the, the professor chalked two examples of unsolvable problems on the blackboard. Well, Danzig happened to be late to class that day, so missing the disclaimer that these problems were unsolvable, he wrote them down in his notebook and thought they were the homework. So he went home and he got to work and it took him a little longer than normal, but he actually solved both of these unsolvable problems. Well, a little while later, a few weeks later, a very excited professor stood at his door knocking um, and scared Danzig. In fact, he thought he was in trouble and his professor joyfully told him that he had solved two of statistics unsolvable problems. And I love what Danzig said many years after the fact. He said this, If someone had told me that those were two famous unsolved problems, I would have never tried to solve them. If someone would have told me they were impossible, I never would have tried. And think about this, brothers and sisters. That term, impossible, often keeps us on the sidelines. It keeps us from ever attempting anything. Oh, it's impossible? Then I just won't try. Yet, I dare you, I double dog, I triple dog dare you to find one miracle in the Bible that did not begin with an impossibility. Every miracle in Scripture begins with an impossibility. And if we could just see that, that would basically give us an entirely different attitude towards our own problems. Problems that come into our lives are engineered by God to bring us face to face with our deficiencies so that we can come to see that he is altogether sufficient and he is our only alternative. So every problem is an opportunity for us to, to trust the Lord more and to watch him walk into our circumstances and work things together for good. And the miracles of Jesus are always pointing to something beyond themselves. They're never intended to be the end of themselves. Miracles are not the ultimate point. Miracles aren't just pointing to something. Miracles are always pointing to someone. They're pointing to Jesus and his authority over heaven and earth. And this morning we come to only one of two miracles that, are, that is given to us in all four Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke and John only contain two of the, of the same miracles that, that, that are presented um, in all four Gospels, and that is the feeding of the 5,000, where we come this morning, and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, Jesus feeding the 5,000 is a very familiar text to us. Yet, this isn't just a story of one miracle. It's a story of thousands of miracles. This miracle that we're about to read is the most extensive miracle of Jesus, the most massive miracle miracle in sheer number the feeding of 5,000 men plus women and children conservative estimates are 15 to 20,000 people total and the, the, these people aren't just watching Jesus perform a miracle it's not like they're at a magic show just watching Jesus be David Copperfield no they are caught up in the miracle they're participating in the miracle and this is Good news for us. This is a good reminder for us this morning that we're not just here learning about the miracles of Jesus. If you are a child of God today, you are a miracle of Jesus. 
Like we're caught up in the miracle. We are a miracle and we are recipients of his power. We are still receiving grace upon grace upon grace. Mercy was still new for us this morning as children of God. His faithfulness is still there for us every step that we take. And he is still working all things for our good. Those are the miracles that we are caught up in as children of God. So I want us to turn now and look at the word. We're going to read John 6 verses 1 through 15 together and then unpack this very familiar miracle. But I pray that God will speak to us in ways um, that we need in this moment. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. Beginning at verse 1, John writes, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Don't forget the question. Don't Where? That's the question. Where? Verse 6, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So Philip answered a different question. He didn't answer where, he answered how. And he said, listen, eight months of wages isn't enough to give everyone just a little bit. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let us pray. Father, we come before you, the God that, Lord, we need you. And you are the God who needs nothing. Yet you have made yourself known, made yourself available. And you are so good at being God that we often take you for granted. But thank you for the thousands of ways that you meet our needs on a daily basis. Thank you for all the things that you have done in our lives, God, to show forth your faithfulness, your grace, and your mercy. Things that we don't even notice and we didn't even take time to recognize. And yet, God, you're faithful. Lord, help us, God, just to take more time and have our eyes more open to just the way you work in, through, and for your people. Just speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. One of the things that came to my mind when I was kind of working on the message, and this is something that some of you will be uh, mindful of and you remember, others of you, you have no clue, but how many of you remember the food pyramid? So most of us at some time or another growing up, we were given this picture of this food pyramid. You can picture it in your head. Um, wide base, narrow, pointy top, horizontal layer after layer showing us 
how many servings of each food group we should eat on a daily basis. And basically, this um, nice little food pyramid was just the fun sucker of all fun suckers because it said, eat more vegetables and stay away from sugar, which basically means this, don't eat anything good whatsoever. And so that was kind of the, the point here of the food pyramid said, listen, eat more vegetables, stay away from the sugars, and no single food can satisfy or supply everything that we need. So you have to have this many servings of this and this many servings of that, and that might work from a physical standpoint, but spiritually, we can only be fed meaningfully from one source, and that source is the bread of life. And that is what we're going to see all throughout John chapter 6. And according to this passage, there is a very large crowd who's following Jesus. And they're following him because of the miracles that he has already done. And even though they don't even know it, they're ultimately following Jesus because their hearts were, were empty. Yes, they're physically hungry, but they're also spiritually hungry. Just think about this. Have you ever felt your spiritual hunger before this holy God? Have you ever acknowledged your sin before this holy God? Have you ever trusted God to do the impossible for you, namely to forgive you from your sins? If you haven't, may today be the day of salvation for you. And according to this story, we, we never know what God will ask, and we never know when he will ask it, but we do know why he asked it. He asked us to do things to open up our spiritual eyes to who he is so that we might come to trust him more and more and more. And let me just continue to set the stage this morning. No one in that crowd, including Jesus' disciples, those closest to Jesus, were expecting Jesus to do what he did. And no one in the crowd would have thought anything of one boy and his insignificant lunch. So nobody in the crowd would have said, that boy matters, or his lunchable matters. No one would have, have thought that at all. No one knew that after that moment, every person who trusted Jesus and every person who opened and read his word would know about this boy, would know exactly what was in his lunchbox that day, and would know how Jesus used it to magnify his own name. Now, now whenever I think of this passage, I find myself wondering, in a very selfish way, I, I, I imagine, imagine myself going, Micah, what would you have done if you were that little boy? And your mom packed you a little lunchbox that day. And maybe Jesus begins to ask the disciples, hey, where are we going to feed? And Andrew begins to say, well, maybe I'll ask around. And Andrew begins to say, hey, anybody have anything to eat? Anybody have anything to eat? And Andrew comes to me and says, hey, you got anything to eat? And of course, I saw him coming, so I take my lunchbox and put it behind my back and go, nah. No, I don't have anything. And then, of course, I take off and go behind a tree and eat all the, the bread and eat, eat my, my fish. And then I put it all up. I, I hide my lunchbox and I go back with a full stomach. What if the little boy did that? What if that little boy responded and reacted like the little boy Micah probably would have, have done? And this is a reminder that we've seen a few times already that sometimes we have to do the natural before God can do the supernatural. That we have to bring our natural, what we have, whether it be lunch or our abilities, for God to do the supernatural. And ultimately, Jesus did the impossible through an unremarkable kid and an unimpressive lunch in the middle of a very big crowd. 
Before we jump in, I just want to ask two questions that I pray will hover over us the remainder of our time together this morning. And those two questions are this. Number one, are you trusting God to meet your needs? Are you trusting God to meet your needs? Do you think, do you believe that God will provide for you? And secondly, do you believe that God can or will use you? Do you believe that God can use you? Do you believe that God really can use you? So I want to unpack this morning three truths that leap off the pages of John chapter 6 in these first 15 verses. And the first truth is this. Grace is the reason for his compassion. So grace is the reason for his compassion. So God is compassionate towards us, not because we're deserving of his compassion, but because he is gracious. So here, Jesus is about to display his compassion, his grace. He's about to display how he, in his grace, responds to our needs, even our physical needs. And look at verse 3. You see it on the screen. It says, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Verse 5 says, lifting his eyes. So he was looking. Then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Listen, Jesus doesn't send the crowd away because when he looks at this crowd, he doesn't see an obstacle. He doesn't see an interruption. Instead, he sees an opportunity to, to pour out his grace. He sees sheep without a shepherd because he is the compassionate shepherd. He sees a hungry people because he is the bread of life. The disciples weren't thinking about the needs of others, but Jesus was. The disciples saw thousands upon thousands of problems that they couldn't solve. And the disciples wanted just to push them away. But instead of pushing them away, Jesus presses in. And Jesus calls them closer to him. It has often been said that we can know a lot about our own hearts by laying our heart beside the heart of Jesus. Just think about that in this moment. In this moment, we see the response of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, alongside the response of his disciples. He sees the crowd coming. He is moved with compassion. The multitude isn't even hungry yet, and Jesus already knows what he is going to do to provide for them. The disciples see an opportunity to rid themselves of the problem, yet what happens next isn't that. I mean, what should have been written here is this. The disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we love you, and we have a wonderful plan for your life. And Jesus, you are the Messiah of all Messiahs, and you have already done your Messiah stuff today. It's late. They're hungry. The food trucks aren't coming. Domino's won't deliver this far. Chick-fil-A probably would, but it's Sunday, so we're out of luck. So Jesus, send them home. Just send them away. And Jesus looks at them, and throughout the Gospels, we put it together. Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. You feed them. Just imagine what's going on in the minds of those disciples in that moment. Jesus is laying a burden at their feet that is an impossibility for them. Again and again, the disciples would be, would be called by Jesus to do things that in themselves they had zero capacity or ability to do because they're not him. 
Again, lay our heart beside the heart of Jesus. And here's what we know. Jesus' default setting, default setting of Jesus is compassion because he's com compassionate. Our default setting is distrust because we're sinful. Jesus looks at people and looks at them with compassion. We look at people and we start holding all of our stuff because they're going to take it all away. Because we just don't trust God enough with tomorrow. And so here we are understanding we need to confess our sin before God of indifference and distrust. While at the same time we need to praise God that he is compassionate and he is still pouring grace upon grace upon grace upon us even now. Even now. Grace is the reason for his compassion. The reason you woke up this morning is grace. And his mercy. The reason you are here today, his grace. Praise him for his grace towards you, towards us. But then secondly, the second picture is this. Power is released for our provision. So power released by Jesus for our provision. And what's fascinating about this scripture is watching how Jesus uses power and authority. Now the way we often use power and authority is we use power that we're given and we use authority that we're giving to crush other people. So any authority that we are given, we often use it. We want to keep it so we crush those around us so we can keep our power and authority. Yet that is not the authority and power of Jesus. If God were only holy, if he was only powerful and only sovereign, yet not compassionate, gracious, and merciful, we'd all go to hell. If God was only sovereign, only powerful, yet not good and loving and gracious and merciful and kind, we would never run to him. We would always run away from him. But because of his compassion, it means that his sovereignty is exercised for our good. Because of his compassion, it means his power is used, hear this, not to create more need for us, but to meet our every need. This is the picture of how God uses his power. There's an amazing equation I want you to write down if you're taking notes. Divine compassion plus divine power equals everything we need. Divine compassion, the compassion of God, plus divine power, his ultimate power equals everything you and I will ever need in our lives. And then verse 11, it shows on the screen, it says, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. So five loaves, two fish. This boy's lunch was insignificant at best. Let me just kind of break it down for you. Barley was what poor people used uh, for their bread. So it was the wonder bread back then is what barley was. Furthermore, loaves in that day were not the loaves of bread that we think about today. Loaves in that day were smaller or small biscuits. So this boy had basically five small biscuits. And the fish that he had were only small morsels of pickled fish used as a condiment. Basically, think about this. Think about five small biscuits and fish jam. I know that just some of you are like, yum, lunch, there we go, waiting for that. But think about five small biscuits and fish jam and then 15 to 20,000 people. It's not enough, but it's enough for Jesus. It's enough for him. 
Now look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments. Listen, there were no resources. There was no human plan that would work in this moment. Yet the disciples are witnesses of this glorious metaphor of the gospel because theirs is a compassionate Savior who will exercise his power for his people's provision. Jesus will meet every need because his grace is sufficient, because his love is abounding. So with no fanfare, with no voice from heaven, with no lightning strikes, with no thunder whatsoever, Jesus distributed an all-you-can-eat buffet from his hands of bread and fish to everyone. And he just kept passing out bread and fish. And the point is this, he was creating it. As he passed it out, these were pieces of bread that never came from grain. They never grew. These were fish that never swam and weren't caught. The point is, Jesus was just creating it in his hands. In his hands, he was creating it. This wasn't even in the disciples' minds. But here's the point for us. Difficulty must be always measured by the one doing the job. Is it God's work? Well, if it's God's work then it will get done. Let me say it again. If it's God's work, it will get done. Period. Every time. Now, let me be very clear. Let me just get upset for just a second, just to get some of you uncomfortable and, and squirming a little bit. It doesn't matter if you say, I, I refuse to use my abilities for God. I'm going to use my abilities for everything the world tells me to use my abilities for. I want to make sure everybody sees me the way the world wants to see me. And God, your plans aren't that much. Guess what? God's work will still get done. God will just use somebody else and bless them instead of blessing you. And you will just miss the blessing of seeing God do something in and through your life. And then one day, maybe one day you'll say, if only. If only. If only. Maybe. And here's the beautiful thing. Even then, God can still use you. But don't miss this. There's nothing too difficult. Nothing impossible for our God. Think about all the things that we have coming up for the next year. If it's God's work, it's going to get done. It's going to get done. doesn't mean we don't have work to do. doesn't mean we don't need to, to do a lot of things. But it's going to get done. If it's God's work, it will get done. Now think back with me to Philip. Jesus comes to Philip. Where are we going to do it? And Philip begins to do the math. Now Philip's understanding of the shortfall was correct. Philip's conclusion, though, was incorrect. And here's what Philip should have said. Philip should have said, Jesus, I have no idea what you're thinking. And Jesus, we don't have anything. We can't bring anything to the table. So Jesus, whatever you're thinking, just do it. Whatever you want me to do, just tell me and I'll do it. Just tell me. Just think about the anxiety that must have been in Philip's mind. Maybe for minutes, maybe hours, thinking about that question that Jesus laid before him. What am I supposed to do? Is Jesus set me up for failure? How can I do this? And then uh, Philip's probably complaining to other disciples. Did you hear what Jesus told me? How does he expect me to do this? All the while, he's living in a place of discontent, all because he didn't just say, Jesus, whatever you want to do, just do it. I trust you. I trust that you have a plan. You have a purpose. I want to see that happen. Let me just say this. 
There is nothing that God has done for any Christian in any era of time that he's not able to do for you right now. There's nothing that God hasn't done for any Christian in any era of time that he isn't able to do for you. This is the power of Christ. And think about this. They ended up with more leftovers than they started with. They started with five loaves and two fish. They ended up with 12 baskets full of leftovers. And here's the point. Here's the point for us. Our God isn't wasteful. Our God will not waste one thing. God will not waste one ounce of pain you've ever gone through. God will not waste one circumstance that you walked through. God will not waste one thing that we ever go through. He is not a wasteful God. He will use it. And one boy's lunch, one boy's lunch became a a picture, a reminder for us that a little bit plus Jesus equals everything. Everything. But never forget, the miracle took place in Jesus' hands. Jesus can do eternally amazing things with little fragments of our lives. Little broken pieces of our lives that we think aren't much, Jesus is able to use. Such is our Savior. Now let me give you two Old Testament comparisons to show the power of Christ. The first is a connection here that we see from Jesus and Moses. So we think about Moses, think about the people of Israel, think about uh, manna from heaven. And what we have throughout the Gospels, we have here in this moment a desolate place according to Mark's Gospel. We have mountains, we have teachings and the law, we have divisions um, and, and people, and then we have Jesus providing bread. Later in this chapter, in chapter 6, Jesus will say, As Moses gave you bread from heaven, I am the bread come down from heaven. Whoever eats of me will live forever. So what Jesus is saying is this. Jesus is saying through this chapter, I'm better than Moses. I'm a, I'm a better provider than Moses. I give better provision than Moses gave to you. And then there's an even more striking parallel. We'll see that Jesus is even a greater miracle worker than Elisha, than the prophet. Turn real quick to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings 4. This was part of our Bible reading this week. It's kind of like we had it set up of where we were going and what God is doing and the parallels of Scripture and how they all work together. But 2 Kings chapter 4. And look at verses 42 through 44. When you get there, let me hear you say. And it says this. Verse 42. A man came from Belshazzar, bringing the man of God, that's Elisha, bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley. So more than what we're talking about in John 6. And fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? Now that makes Jesus laugh, right? Like a hundred men? How about 20,000? Let's see how that works. But how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he sat before them, and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. Just think about these parallels. You have more people than you have bread. You have a command to feed the crowd and then a question concerning the provision. You have a miracle, and then you have food left over. And the parallels seem pretty similar, but here's the point. Moses and Elijah performed their service by God's authority. Jesus performed every miracle he performed by his own authority because he's God. 
And that's the point here. He is God. And we have a God came down from heaven to earth. And hear me, in the midst of coming down from heaven to earth, he came down to meet our needs. Ultimately, our great need of salvation, but also he who can meet our greatest need is also able to meet every single need of our lives. And brothers and sisters, what need do you have that he can't meet? What need are you going through right now that he isn't able to provide for you? Don't walk around like Philip and Andrew going, how am I going to deal with this? What am I going to do? Jesus gave us this problem. I don't know what to deal. Instead of just trusting him, he is able to meet your needs even now. This is him. Trust him. He is the ever-providing, all-providing one. Trust him. Which leads us to picture number three. Obedience is the path to multiplication. Obedience is the path to multiplication. You know, we think addition. Jesus thinks multiplication. We think small. Jesus thinks large. And when you add God to the equation, his output always exceeds our input. What God can get out of you far exceeds what you're able to even get out of yourself. What I want to do is I want us to kind of switch gears. And even though we're walking through the Gospel of John, I want us to, you're going to see Matthew 14 on the screen, which is Matthew's picture of this event. And Matthew gives us a little bit more clarity that, that John doesn't give us. And here's what Matthew says in verses 19 through 21. You'll see it on the screen. Then he broke, Jesus, the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Listen, we tend to look at what we have and we go, it's not much. And then, of course, we look at what we lack and it seems huge. Don't have much and I lack a whole lot. Jesus looks not at our abilities. He doesn't look at our resources. He looks at our willingness to obey him, our willingness to trust him. This miracle happened in the hand of Jesus, but it was distributed through Jesus' hands to the disciples. So Jesus did the miracle, then he gave it to them, and they distributed it to the crowd. In whatever capacity the Lord calls us to serve him, we are dependent upon his resources. Now, how in the world can you and I make a difference in anybody's life? We're sinners saved by grace. What can we do? What difference can we possibly make in any person's life? And again, understand our role. We have no power to put away sin. We have no power to impart grace. But our job is to receive the bread of life from the master and then give it out to others. Receive the bread of life from the hands of our master and then just give it out to others. You can't make people value the bread of life. You can't make people eat the bread of life. But you can give it. You can give it. And what does that look like? It looks like us telling people how God is speaking to our lives. Even today from a message like this, telling somebody how God spoke to your life today through the word. It's a beautiful picture of what God does. On Wednesday night, because of COVID yet again, we had to have online service. And we had four people in the building on Wednesday night. And I don't know if you know this. I know some of you thinking, be good to do a job and nobody's there. It's hard preaching to a camera because I love being able to preach to people and look into your eyes and be able just to, to have that interaction. I know, Mike, you're, Mike, you're enough. 
but Mike's really not enough. But anyway, so I left here Wednesday a little discouraged. It's like, did I waste my time? Was that like, would it be better on a Wednesday night just to not do service at all than to come up here and speak to a, a camera and mic um, and, and do that? And I was discouraged. And I kind of carried that home and maybe moped a little bit. I, I don't know. The, the girls are saying yes. So maybe I did. I don't, I don't. But the next day, went through the day. And on Thursday night, I was outside watering plants, of all things. And Misty wasn't feeling well. I said, I'll go out and water plants. So I'm watering plants. And one of our neighbors walks by. And she stops and says, hey, I listened to the message last night. And I'm like, what? Like, really? And she was like, I and began to tell me the ways that God spoke through that message to her situation right there in the moment. And it was a pretty good humbling experience of for God to speak to me saying, I'm not responsible for the results. All I'm responsible for is to faithfully take from the master's hand the bread that he gives and just to give it. But it's beautiful when God reminds us what he does through it that God reminds us that he uses those those little morsels that he gives us to meet needs of other people and it's a humbling thing to be used by this amazing almighty God again we can't make people receive the bread but we give it to them our responsibility to take from Jesus and give to others Listen, the problem was never the disciples. Although they made it their problem, and Jesus kind of made it their problem. The power was never theirs. The plan certainly wasn't theirs. But Jesus took what was placed in his hand, and he multiplied it through them. And the rest, as they say, is history. Let me just end this way. A little, when surrendered to Jesus, becomes powerful. Broken pieces that you think aren't worth anything when given to Jesus are able to be multiplied and used to meet the needs of other people. We don't know what God is up to, and we don't know how God might desire to use us, but let me just tell you, make it very, very clear. God will provide for you, and God will use you. God will use you. Make yourself available to him. And you might be thinking, well, I don't have much. Let me just end with this quote from Elizabeth Elliot. And I love this quote, and I love this woman. I love Misty Moore, but I, I love her story and what she signifies. And read the story of Elizabeth Elliot and her, and her husband, Jim. But listen to, what she's, listen to what she says. And may, may this hit you today as it hit me. If the only thing you have to offer is a broken heart, you offer a broken heart. Realizing that nothing I have, nothing I am, will be refused on the part of Christ. I simply give it to him as a little boy gave Jesus his five loaves and two fish with the same filling of the disciples when they said, What is the good of that for such a crowd? Naturally, in almost anything I offer Christ, my reaction would be, What is the good of that? The point is, the use he makes of it is his blessing. If all you have is a broken heart, you offer it to him, and he's able to use it. If all you have is broken experiences, you offer it to him, and he's able to use it. Whatever we have, we give to him, and he is able to use it for his glory. Such is the Savior that we serve.
Such is the one who holds us now and will hold us forever. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. We're going to call praise team forward. We enter in this time of invitation and consecration. And let us pray together in this moment. Oh God, we praise you for your resources. We praise you, God, that in you is never a lack. Lord, in you is always more than enough. And Lord, it might not come when we want it to come. It might not come when we think it has to come. But Lord, the truth, the reality of it all is if we don't have what we think we need right this moment, it's because we don't need it right this moment. But when we do need it, God, we will have it. Because your word tells us that you will supply all of our needs. You will. We thank you for providing for us salvation. Pray for anyone in this room or anyone listening online that doesn't know you that today would be a day of salvation turning from sin, turning from self, turning to you, Jesus, trusting you alone as Savior and Lord. Also, Father, just pray for brothers and sisters under the sound of my voice that you would help us to trust you more, that you are the God who provides. You will provide. And you are the God who will use us. Even if it's just a broken heart, God, you can take our broken heart and first of all, you can mend it and then you can use it. You can use our brokenness. Your word says, God, that you comfort us in our affliction so that we can comfort others in their affliction. We take from your hand and we're able to give to others. Do that in and through your people. For your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.